Well, we're in week number two of a series that I started last week simply called, He Said What? Everybody say that. Say, He Said What? You can even have some fun and say, He Said What? Go ahead. Just, just play around this morning because, you know, some of you get a little quiet and you need to kind of, uh, you know, verbalize yourself from time to time and just uh, release some of that stuff that's bottled up and just let go and, and have a little fun this morning. So he said, what? Go ahead, say that. He said, <laughs> there you go. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said, some profound principles and truths that Jesus said to people that literally changed their lives. And they believed upon his word. Many of them did. Now, some of them didn't. But those who believed upon what he said and what he taught, their lives were changed. And those words that Jesus spoke like 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,000 years ago, are still changing lives today. And if we will take those truths and principles that Jesus taught and apply those to our lives, our lives can experience the transformation as well. I know that I am a living, breathing testament to the fact that, that his word produces change in our lives because it has changed me. And I know that many of you that are sitting here this morning, many that will watch this online, they are a product of the, the life-transforming power of the word of God. And so that's why we want to look at these things. Last week, we, we looked at the fact that how Jesus taught us to invest our lives. He he, he divvied out some, some money to these servants, or he told a story about a master who divvied out some, some money to his servants, and, and those servants were to invest that for, for his kingdom, not for their sake, but for the, the master's sake. And so we'd learned about investing our time, our talents, and our treasures. And this week, we are going to learn about something different. It's interesting, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the praise team and I, we didn't even talk about this, but they actually sang a song this morning that is going to fit right into what I am going to be speaking about. I'll let you guess which one of the three uh, that it was about. But you'll probably figure it out as we begin reading. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 5, and we're going to be in verses 33 through 39. Luke chapter number 5, verse 33 through 39. If you have your, your Bible, you can follow along or your smartphone, or you can simply read along with us on the screen. This is the New Living Translation. It says this, verse 33, One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. Verse 37. And no one puts new wine. <laughs> Y'all figuring it out yet? Into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. I want to speak to you this morning on this topic, and that is this, that new wine requires new wineskins. New wine requires new wineskins. Now, before I really get into this, I want us to pray that God would give us 
understanding this morning because that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. We need to receive what God would have for us today so that we can have a changed life, so that we can grow in knowing Him. So let's pray this morning for that. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we have the opportunity and the privilege to learn more about you today. God, that is our heartbeat. That is our goal. Not just to come on Sundays and fellowship with one another, which that is great. Not just to come and, and listen to songs and, and see uh, uh, other people and just uh, you know, talk about things that's happened this week. God, those things are good. But Father, we have come today to learn more about you to grow in our walk with you and our relationship with you so we can experience the life that you have for us. So, Father, that happens as we dive into your word. And as we do that this morning, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want to teach us today. God, as you spoke these words thousands of years ago, Father, there was an intention and a meaning behind what you said. And, God, we want to hear that today. So give us those ears to hear. Give us an open heart and an open mind to receive truth from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, always remember there is, you have to keep in mind the context of, of what Jesus was talking about. Because everything that he said, it was obviously said within a, within a context. There were certain things that were going on. Now, in this setting, he's speaking to the religious Jews, the religious teachers of the, the Word of God, if you will, the law and the, the, the writings of the Old Testament prophets. So there's a context uh, to keep in mind with the illustrations that he's about to give. Now, Jesus was a Jew himself. And when he came to this earth, he came as the Jewish Messiah, the, uh, the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was sent from heaven by God to be the Savior of the world. And for thousands of years, or hundreds of years rather, the Jews had been expecting the Messiah to come. That's what's written in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. This is the scriptures that they had. They knew that the Messiah was going to be coming. However, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They had been looking for a Messiah, but they didn't believe that he was the one. In fact, many of the Jews today are still looking for the Messiah to come. Now, we as Christians, we believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Therefore, the Messiah has already come. Okay? But the Jews did not believe this. They had a hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah because Jesus wasn't doing the things that they thought the Messiah would come to do. For example, during the time of, of the days that Jesus was on the earth, the Jews were under oppression of the Roman government. The Jews hated the, the Romans because they felt oppressed by their control, if you will. So the Jews had been expecting and believing that when the Messiah would come, he would overthrow the Roman government. He would remove from the Jews this, this yoke of Roman authority and, and set up and establish his kingdom. However, when, when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't even as much as, as talk about overthrowing the Roman authority. He didn't take this yoke of of Roman authority off of their lives. Rather, Jesus spoke about taking the yoke of sin off of their lives. And this was hard for them to, to understand because they wanted Jesus to do a certain thing. They believed that if he was truly the Messiah, this is what he would do. He would overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus didn't do that. He spoke about removing this yoke of sin. 
And in fact, as he was talking to these religious leaders, he said things like this. He said, you guys are so religious, yet you don't even have a relationship with God. Yet you know all of the Christian lingo or the I should say the religious lingo. You know all the, the law. You know about the writings of the prophets, but yet you don't even have a relationship with God. And then he said something that completely blew their mind. He said, and if you want a relationship with God, you have to come through me. Now this, this completely blew their minds, and this really made them mad. And they, they begin to think that this guy is... This guy's lost it. He's the son of the devil. I mean, just something's wrong with this guy. He's messed up. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And they were, because they were, they were educated in the word of God, if you will. They knew the Old Testament writings. They knew the, the laws of the prophet. They knew about all of this stuff. Yet Jesus said, you know these things, but you do not have a relationship with me. They didn't recognize him as the son of God. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. In fact, not only did they not recognize him, they rejected him even as a theologian. They said things like, okay, you claim to be the Messiah, but you don't even fast and your disciples don't fast. You claim to be the Messiah, yet you don't keep the Sabbath. You claim to be the Messiah, yet you don't do all of these religious duties and you don't keep the law like we keep the law. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but when you read your Bible, you're going to find that Jesus was always in trouble with the religious people. Yet he always had the ear and the attention of the common person. This is very, very important. Jesus said to them, as, as they begin to argue, say, you, why do your disciples not fast? This is where we are right now in the text. Jesus said, listen, let me, let me, let me tell you something. He says, wedding guests, they, they don't fast when the groom is present with them. One day that groom is going to be gone, and then there's going to be time for fasting. But right now, while the groom is here, there's no reason for them to be fasting. And he was referring to himself. He was referring to, to the disciples. He was saying, listen, I'm here with my disciples right now. There's no reason for them to be fasting. I'm here with them. But one day I'm going to be gone, and then there will be a time of fasting. And then he gives them two practical, common sense illustrations for them to, to understand uh, in a more practical way what he's trying to teach. These are teaching tools. The first illustration he gives them, he says, okay, here's an illustration for you. No one takes a new piece of cloth and puts it on an old garment. And you don't take an old garment that has a hole in it and, and take a new piece of cloth and, and sew that hole up because what's going to happen is when you wash that, that new piece of cloth is going to shrink and it's going to rip apart and create an even bigger hole in that old garment than what was originally there. He was saying you, you can't take something that's new, listen, this is important, and attach it to something that's old. And then he gives them the second illustration. He says you can't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. Now, I don't I don't know a whole lot about this, but I was, I was Googling this and looking it up. And, and a wineskin back then, the way that they would carry wine is they would take usually the, uh, the skin of a goat, some type of, of leather, it'd be a, a piece of leather. They would like fold it up and tie it at the top and it would create this, this skin that they could house 
wine in, you know, hold wine, put the liquid in. And they would always have a new wineskin or, or a fresh piece of skin so that it was still uh, pliable or that it had elasticity that was stretchable because what would happen is when they would pour the wine in, and some of you, you know a lot more about wine than I do, but the, during this fermentation process, there would be gases that would re be released or bubbles that would happen and it would cause expansion in the container, okay? And, and if the wine skin was not fresh, it wouldn't be able to expand and hold the wine. It's kind of like a rubber band. If you've ever had a rubber band, you know how stretchy that it is. But if you leave it out in the weather for a while or it becomes old, it, it becomes really brittle, doesn't it? D like it dry rots. And then you take that and you try to stretch it and what happens? It breaks. Same, same um, application or, or illustration of a wine skin. It had to be new so that it could, so that it could stretch or that it could, it, could, it could expand with the new wine that had been put inside of it. Otherwise, if it's old, you pour the new wine in, the fermentation process happens, it can't stretch, so it bursts. And the wine skin is lost, and the, and the wine is ruined. ruined. It's, it's spilled. And so Jesus is telling them, he says, you can't, now keep in context what he's talking about. He says, you can't take new wine and put it into an old wine skin. Because if that happens, the old wine skin is not going to expand. It's not going to stretch. Rather, it's going to be dry rotted and brittle, and it's going to burst when the new wine is poured in. What in the world was Jesus talking about with these two illustrations? Jesus was saying to these Pharisees, these teachers of the religious law, I have come to do something new. I have come to do a new thing. I have come to establish a new covenant. And he was telling them, you can't take this new covenant and simply tack it on to your beliefs. You can't take this new covenant that I'm going to bring and simply just tack it on or attach it to your way of doing things. I've come to turn everything inside out and upside down. The Jews believed that their obedience to the law and their practice of good deeds was winning God's affection. They believed that they were so good at following the law that, boy, they just had God's heart in the palm of their hands. That everything they good, man, did you see how good I am? Man, I can fast, I can pray, I tithe, I pray out loud. God, man, I just have his heart. They believed that their good works, their obedience to the law, would make them right with God. But Jesus was saying, no, you're missing the point. I know you know the law, I know you know about the writings of the prophets, but those things point to me. Matter of fact, when you read the Apostle Paul, he says that the law was a, served as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law pointed to him. Jesus was saying, I'm the one who gives new life, not the law. I'm the one who makes you right with God, not the law. New life comes from me. And if you want this new life, you've got to change your current belief system. If you want this new life, you've got to change the way that you are currently doing things. New wine can only be put in new wineskins. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about this new covenant that he has come to establish, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That everything that was written in the law of Moses about God, about, or excuse me, about, about the Messiah and about how to be made right with God, was all pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, I'm here. And if you want this new life, it comes through me. 
even hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth, there were prophets who wrote about this principle that Jesus was teaching, that one day a new covenant would be established that would replace the old. Jeremiah is one, and Ezekiel is another. I want to look at those two passages so you can grasp this. First one is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33. Here's what the prophet wrote. Now, he's, he's a prophet is someone who is a, 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 a messenger of the Lord. He's hearing the word of the Lord, and he's saying to the people what God is telling him to say. It says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. In other words, this new covenant is, is not going to work with the old. It's not, it's not going to be the same as the old. He says, That's, that covenant was broken by them. This is the one I, that, that I gave them that brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Look at verse 33. But this, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions, look at this, deep within them. In other words, they won't just be reading this law of Moses. They won't just be reading about this this, this way of living. I'm going to write this word on their hearts. I'm going to put my life, my spirit inside of them. He says, I'm going to write this on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So hundreds of years before Jesus came and even taught this principle or, or explained this principle, it was written about by the prophet Jeremiah. Ezekiel writes about it as well. Chapter 36, verse 26 through 27. He says this, and I will give you a, look at this, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. In other words, I'll take out this heart of stone and give you a, a, a heart that's, that's pliable, one that's, that, that, that can be molded, one that can, can, can understand. And he says, verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you. My spirit's not going to come upon you as it did in the old days. People were the Holy Spirit would come upon people and they were anointed for certain things to accomplish great tasks, but the Holy Spirit didn't live in them. But now, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is saying there's going to come a day and I'm going to put my Spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, this, this Spirit inside of you is going to cause you. You're not going to have to follow rules. You're not going to have to oh, obey this law by simply a list of do's and don'ts. My Spirit inside of you is going to cause you to follow that. My Spirit inside of you is going to cause you to live that kind of life out. So when Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter number 5 about new wine, he's confirming and fulfilling what had been spoken hundreds of years earlier by the prophets. He's saying this new life that was prophesied about is available through me. It's not found in religious practices. It's not found in Religious protocol or formalities, it's found in me. New life is available, but it's not found in the things that this world has to offer. It's found in me. New life is available, watch this, but it requires leaving behind your old way of doing things. This is what he's teaching. He says new wine requires a new wineskin. And I want to further break this down by sharing with you 
three easy points that really um, summarize this, this principle that Jesus is teaching, this, this illustration of the new wine. So if, if you take notes, jot these down, because I believe these will really help you to understand what Jesus is communicating here. The first point is this, that Jesus gives new wine, with the emphasis on the word new. Jesus gives new wine. What kind of wine does Jesus give? New wine. Jesus gives new wine. Wine here refers to life. So Jesus gives new life. New life. If you're hurting, if you're broken, if you're sick, if you're afflicted, if you're discouraged, if you're oppressed, listen, Jesus doesn't want to fix you. He wants to give you new life. It's very important, okay? I know I caught some of you off guard. What? He doesn't want to fix you? No, he doesn't want to take your old life and fix you up. Jesus wants to give you new life. And this is just not for people who are hurting and broken and sick and afflicted or oppressed. This is for people who think they've got it all figured out. Just like the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. This is for people who think that they're good enough on their own to be made right with God. People who think that, man, I've got it all figured out. Oh, I know that I'm right with God because I'm at church every single Sunday. You know, I give in the offering. I serve in, I mean, I serve in kids' sake for, or kids' church for goodness sake. I mean, if I do that, I've got to be right with God. People who just, you know, check off the list. Yeah, I did this, I did that. I know that I'm right with God. This message is for you. Jesus gives new life. The Pharisees, the religious people, they thought they had it figured out. They followed all of these rules. They followed all this religious format. They knew the lingo. They knew the words to say. They would check off, if you will, their church attendance box, their offering box. Yeah, I did this, did this, did this, did this. But they didn't know God. They didn't have new wine. I can, I can relate to this. I was, I was thinking about how to put this together this week. And, um, and if you've gone through the growth track, you've probably heard me uh, share a little bit of this. But, and I'm sure a lot of people that are hearing me this morning can relate to what I'm about to say. But I grew up, I don't know the first time I was in church. I was probably two or three weeks old. I'm sure that just freshly out of the womb, I mean, as soon as my mom could get back up and go, and I was in church. So I've been in church my entire life. And I went to a church where we had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service. Uh, many times we'd have Monday night prayer meetings, and I, I had to go. You know, my mom would, would, would make me go. I know it sounds abusive, but she made me go. But I was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, for years and years and years. This was my routine. This was my formula. But I didn't know God. I knew about God. I could tell you Bible stories. You know, I could tell you about Jonah and the ark. Just seeing if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I know that story. I could tell you these stories. I could tell you about God. I knew about Him. I knew of Him, but I did not know Him. I didn't have this, this new wine. How do I know that? Because there was a time when, I, I don't know, maybe my late teenage years, early 20s, somewhere in there, um, I began to notice that there were other people who professed themselves as Christians who had something that I didn't have. They seemed to have joy. 
constantly, continuously. They seem to have peace. They seem to have hope. They, they seem to just have something that was just always bubbling inside of them. I didn't have that. They seem to have this, this new wine that Jesus is talking about. And one day I came to the realization, you know what? I, I don't know God. And I made a commitment. Listen to me. This is very important. I made a commitment to get to know God. And I began to read my Bible. And I began to pray and worship and commit my life to fellowship with God. And it wasn't too long after that that I began to experience this new wine, this new life, this joy, this peace, this hope, this overflowing inside of me that Jesus is speaking about. And there's a lot of you that are here this morning. You may not, you may not understand what it's like to have this new wine. Maybe you've been going through the motions just like the religious Jews. Maybe you're coming to church. Uh, maybe occasionally you'll listen to Caleb or the message on, on the radio. But, but you don't know what it's like to have continuous joy. You don't know what it's like to have continuous peace. You don't know what it's like to have hope. You don't know what it's like to, to, to have a, a, an expectancy about you. That, man, this is going to be a good day. God's going to use me. God's going to work through me. You don't have the experience of the new wine that Jesus is speaking about. And Jesus gives new wine. I've come to realize ever since that day that for all those years that I did the religious things, for all those years that, that I would go to church and, and even give offerings but never experience this new wine, it was because I had never committed my life to knowing God. I never committed my life to knowing Jesus. I wanted to do my own thing and bring Jesus along with me. You know? I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to do what I thought was, was good and, and have fun and do all of that. I wanted to live my own life and bring Jesus alongside the journey rather than choosing to follow Him. I wanted to say, Scott, just whatever you want to do, let me come along beside that and bless that but it didn't work that way. Which brings me to the second point. Number two, old wineskins cannot handle new wine. Look at verse 37 again of Luke 5. Jesus said, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and running the skins. Jesus is saying here, old wineskins cannot handle this new wine. Once again, back to the, the wine skins. These animal skins over time would, would dry rot. They would become uh, rigid. They would become um, very um, brittle, if you will. No elasticity, no ability to stretch. And Jesus was speaking to these religious people and he was comparing, I don't know if they picked up on this or not, but he was comparing them to old wine skins. And how rigid they were and how, how dry that they were. He says, you're like an old, hardened, dried up wineskin. You're not pliable. You're not stretchable to receive the truth. And he's telling them, you can't handle new wine. When I try to pour new wine into you, it just bursts because you're, 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 you're dry, you're hardened, you're, you're set in your ways. You're not open to embrace the real truth. You're convinced that your way is right. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You're unwilling to receive the truth. He says, you claim to worship my father and you don't even know my father. <laughs> you know, in one place he even called them sons of the devil. 
And these were religious people. Scott, what in the world are you trying to communicate to us this morning? I'm trying to say that there are a lot of people who would fit the bill of the religious leaders. You're set in your ways. You, you like what you're doing. You're unwilling to change. You're, you're not open to truth. And Jesus is saying, you're like an old hardened wineskin. I want to pour my new wine into you, but you're so set in your ways and you're so rigid and so religious that when I try to pour this into you, it's just going to burst and, and, and the, the wineskin is going to be lost and the oil or the wine is going to spill. This describes a lot of us that are here this morning. You're trying to get Jesus to put new wine into an old wineskin. Man, I hope you hear this this morning. You, you want this abundant life that Jesus has to give, but, but you're only wanting it if He can come alongside of your life and attach this new life to you and that things are going to shape up and, and work out without you having to do too much changing. You're trying to tack Jesus onto your life like He's some sort of an accessory item trying to maintain the old ways of this world while still including Jesus on the side. And can I just tell you, it, does, it doesn't work that way. This is what Jesus is communicating. You can't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. You can't take a piece of new cloth and attach it to an old garment. It's not going to work. Jesus is saying, what I have to offer you, it's not an accessory item. You can't just take it and add it to your life. There has to be a complete mindset change. There has to be repentance. There has to be a new belief system. You've got to follow me. I think a lot of us this morning are just like these religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to. They wanted him once again to remove this yoke of Roman authority off their life. We want Jesus to take away our conflicts, to take away our struggles to take away our problems. We want Jesus to take away the, these, these marital issues that we have, these financial issues that we have. But Jesus wants to remove the yoke of sin in our lives. He wants us to completely trust Him and put our hope in Him so that He can pour new wine into us and it will overflow into our marriage, overflow into our families, overflow into our schools, overflow into our workplaces. That's what He wants to do. But so many times we, we want to bring all of our problems, all of our conflicts, and all of our issues to Jesus. And we want him to fix that without us having to change too much. It doesn't happen that way. That's, what, that's the whole message that Jesus is communicating with these two illustrations. He says you can't take that new piece of garment or that new piece of cloth and put it on an old garment. You can't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. That new wine requires new wineskin. Well, listen to me this morning. There, there are some of you that need to realize that all you're doing right now is trying to add Jesus to your life. You're, you're trying to take this, this new piece of fabric and sew it into the old. You're trying to take what Jesus wants to do and make it fit into your current lifestyle into your current way of doing things. You want new life, but you're really not willing to fully commit to Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? You, you want this abundant life that Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full, but you're not willing to change things. In other words, you like your life. You don't like the results, but boy, you like what you get to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus summarizes it in verse number 39. He says this. He says, no one who drinks the old wine, look at this, 
seems to want this new wine. The old is just fine, they said. Oh, I like my way of living. I, I don't you know, necessarily like the things that I'm having to, to deal with, but I like my way of living. I like to live how I want to live. I like this way of living. I just want different results. <laughs> I'd like to have this abundant life, but I'm not ready to let go of some things. Man, there's, I know I'm hitting home with people this morning. I, I'm not, you know, I, I want what Jesus has for me, but I'm not ready to give this up right here. I'm not ready to fully surrender. You know, I'll surrender some, but I won't surrender all. And I'll just tell you this morning that you'll never experience this new wine until you are ready to repent and lay down your life. You'll never experience this new wine that Jesus has for you until you're willing to let go of your old way of doing things, till you're willing to have this change of mind and change of heart, which, by the way, is repentance, you're, till you're willing to walk away from this and say, Jesus, I give you my life. You're not going to have this new wine. Which brings me to the third and the last point from this illustration that Jesus gave. Number three, new wine requires new wineskins. In verse 38 of Luke 5, in this story that we read, Jesus said this, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. The life that I want to give you, it, it requires change. It, it requires a, a different vessel. In John chapter 1, I want to tie this in, verses 11 through 12. It says this, Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. These Jewish people rejected him. But to those who believed in him, or, or the, the, the King James Version says, those who received him. And that word receive comes from a, a Greek word that means to take it in and apply it to your life, to embrace that. Not just, oh yeah, I'll take this, but to bring that in and embrace it. It says, to all those who believed him and received him, accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. In other words, those who embrace Jesus have new life flowing in them. Because they've said no to their former way of doing things. They've said no to their, their way of doing things. They've said no to their belief systems and said yes to the Lord's way. Once again, new wine requires new wineskins. Here, here's something that I think is pretty interesting. Let, let, me ask, let me ask a question. Let's see how smart you are first. Um, tell me, what, what was the very first miracle did when he was on this earth? Did anybody know? Turned, turned the water into wine, didn't he? Okay, now, now think about this for a second. I've never even thought about this. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus turned water into wine. He turned water into wine. He didn't make the water better. He made the water wine. Very, very important. He didn't take this, this water that, that could be used as drinking water and make it taste better, make it better water. Jesus took this water and made it wine. Which is an example of how Jesus wants to take your life and not make it better, not improve it, not put a band-aid on it, but give you new life. Amen. Amen. This is so important, man. I, I, 
I hope you get this. Because we want to bring our, our way of doing things to Jesus and say, fix it. We want to bring our life and say, Jesus, can you make it better? Jesus said, man, not only can I make it better, I can give you a new life. I don't want to just fix this. I, I want to give you a fresh start. I want to give you a clean slate. I want to turn your mourning into, into joy. I want to turn your, your, your weeping into dancing. I want to give you joy. I want to give you peace and life and hope. He doesn't want to just fix things up. He wants to give you new life. But listen, that requires complete surrender. That's what he's telling these, these Jewish leaders, these religious teachers. He's telling them, listen... That the law that you're following, it pointed to me. You, you can't try to take me and, and just attach that to your way of doing things. You, you've got you've to let go of this and believe that I am the fulfillment of what you've been practicing. I am the one who brings this new life. I am the one that all the prophets and, 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 and writers, and Moses, who wrote the law, I'm the one that all of those were pointing to. I'm here. They've been looking for this Messiah and he's standing right there in front of them and they don't even recognize him. Jesus is saying, I've come to give new life, but that requires letting go of your former way of doing things. It requires a new belief system. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. And you want this life? I'm the way. That requires repentance. That requires coming to Jesus and saying, I'm ready to live the way you want me to live. I mean, I'm just here to tell somebody this morning, I don't know who it is I'm speaking to, but until you get to that point where you can come to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm through. I'm ready to live the way you want me to live. Until you can come to that point, in that place, there's no repentance. You're not repenting, which means there's no new wine in your life. There's no new life. It requires repentance. You know, I, I'm convinced that there, there is a false gospel that's being preached today. A lot of churches, a lot of preachers are teaching that you can just... They, we use the phrase, and I know we even use it here occasionally. I don't think we really understand what we're saying, but we're going to invite Jesus into our heart. We're going to invite Jesus to come along for this journey. We're going to invite Jesus to... Jesus, yeah, I really need you in my life. Can you come into my life and, and come alongside of me? Nowhere is that mentioned in the Bible. Jesus says, if any man wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. There's got to be a change of heart. There's got to be a change of mind. There's got to be repentance. You've got to say, I'm letting go of my way of living. And I'm following Jesus. There's no, Jesus, come along, let's go do life. Here's what I like to do. Let me, let me show you what I like to do. No, he said, no, I'm over here. Come to me. Come and follow me. That's the only way that we're going to receive this, this new life. It's through repentance. And can I just say this? That repentance is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. Oh yeah, I repented you know, 25 years ago. Repentance is a daily, ongoing process. Because we live in this flesh who doesn't want to do the things that, that are in the Word of God. This flesh has, has desires and, and, and lustful things that, that we want to go fulfill. And we have to say, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to go that way. I want to go after Jesus. It's a daily, ongoing thing. 
That's how we become a new wineskin. And when we do that, when we have that repentant heart, Jesus says, there's a vessel that I can put new wine in. There, there's a, a willing, yielding vessel that I can use. You'll never be born again and receive the new wine that Jesus wants to give until you repent and become committed to the life that he has to offer. New wine requires new wineskins. These are, these are words that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And they still hold true today. If you want to experience life, the life that Jesus has come to give, it doesn't happen by adding him to your life. It happens through repentance. Walking away from your way of doing things and embracing Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning and then I'm going to pray that God would speak to people's hearts and prepare us to respond. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask some of our, our pastoral elders to come and just, just be here ready to pray for people because I believe that God's going to do something in people's lives today. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the word that you have.